Welcome to another episode of RPG Hour. Today we're tackling the topic of Legendary Game Masters. For those of you that are unfamiliar with this term, a Legendary Game Master is somebody who uh, runs a game, either a setting, a system, or a style, in a way that you just find it difficult not to show up to the table. Mm. Uh, you find it very difficult to tear yourself away from them running a game, and if they're running something new, you're going to want to try and be in on that table, mm. um, you know, at all costs type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's kind of what we're going to get into today. Uh, we're actually very, you know, lucky, even though he is now a standard guest, or not a guest, he's one of our hosts. Jonathan is actually on my list of top three legendary game masters, and I actually only have three legendary game masters. So no pressure. So no pressure. <laughs> uh, it, so, I mean, like, it, I have a top three list, but it's only because there's only three people on it. I like doing top three. Uh, I also like Would doing you top like five. Doing top 3.5? Uh, 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 I'm not Wizards of the Coast Um, yeah but you like adding .5 to everything alright so another thing that we do here is we rate RPGs we'll talk about an RPG we'll do a one shot Uh, we'd love to have you guys back for one of those Um, we'll we'll play a game we'll rate it 1 to 5 and the 1 to 5 isn't like is it a good game 1 to 5 it's a Mm. would you suggest it would you play it again Mm. Mm. would Would you you, recommend it yeah is it something that you'll pull off your shelf not necessarily is it a good game Mm -hmm. but is it something that you would because I mean like there's good games out there that I just I don't it's a cool game it's a good game it's not my thing you know Mm -hmm. like yeah it's well written and then there's other games where I love them but I could never get people at the table to play Mm. them yeah so they're lower on my list I have a tendency to do 0.5s. <laughs> 1, 1. 1.52, 2.53, 3.5. You know, I, I do those. Similar to the use of fluff. <laughs> and Mrs. RPG Hour's running gag is making fun of me for using 0.5. So, I have a top three. I like to do top fives, but we don't have enough time in an hour to do a top five for mm. everybody when we do our top uh, episodes. Um, and so... We, I decided that we're going to do top threes. Mm-hmm. Someday I will talk about all of my top three stuff. <laughs> Today we have one of my top three legendary game masters because there's only three people on that list. There's only three people in all the years, mm-hmm. which like I said before, I've been gaming for about 14 years. There's only three people that have run games. I, I don't care about system. I don't care about setting. It's narrative. How well do they run a narrative? How well does the story play out with them? Mm-hmm. Are they focused on the story? Are they focused on the character stories? Are those elements coming into play? That's that's what a legendary GM specifically to me is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm sure it, hearing the idea of the concept, you guys have a little bit different of an idea of what maybe a legendary game master for y'all is. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so we're lucky because we have him. Mm-hmm. So of course. Went on a rant before we even said <laughs> here. Uh, but once again, I am Mr. RPG Hour. I'm Mrs. RPG Hour. I'm Jonathan Andrews. And once again, we are uh, lucky enough to have uh, some of the members of Dungeon Junkies mm-hmm. with us. So the most important guy, Kenny, the dungeon master or the god of Dungeon Junkies, most important person. <laughs> Uh, I am Alex, the guy who makes all the fucking episodes happen, so I'm more important. Okay, I'll have to Alright. I also play uh, Dungeon Junkies. Cool. And I, I'm Henry. I play a couple characters on Dungeon Junkies. I don't got a bad mouth. So <laughs> Neither do I, because it's scrubbed out. Even though I'm the game master uh, for our actual play uh, podcast, 
Uh, I'm going to have to say, I, I feel like Alex is the most important person in your career. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. Only because editing sucks. <laughs> editing downright edit. sucks. When you have to edit an episode after people say stuff, uh, you yeah. really get down to it and you're like, did we really, do we really sound this dumb? <laughs> is this really us? Uh, do I sound like that? I don't hear myself sound like that. What the hell is this? He doesn't so, hear what he says, honestly. <laughs> Alex gets mad at me all the time. <laughs> it's because you you burp right into the mic, and then not, not only do you burp right into you burp right into the mic, and then continue right after the burp and continue with your sentence like nothing happened. So I can't cut it out. <laughs> it's impossible. The best part is when he winks at Alex right when he does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so great. Wink finger does. <laughs> So that that is my two cents on why I think Alex is the most important <laughs> junkie um, is because he's the editor and uh, I, I'm, I'm down with I'm down with the editors because I, I feel the pain. I, I wish agree. I did not have to edit. I wish I did not have to edit. Um, but generally speaking, I'm the one that has mm. like I think the most background on our team to do the editing. Mm. Our team of two people. <laughs> I'm including. Okay, when I say that, I'm including Jonathan and I'm including okay. all of our crew for the actual play. Uh, I don't know okay. his editing background, which okay. is why I'm saying that. To be fair, I was editing first, and you guys were like, "Hold on." You did one episode. I did like the Patreon, the Patreon episode. <laughs> that never that went up. That uh, yeah, it did. Oh, the first one did, not the second one. Sorry. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know he did. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> legendary. So, legendary game masters. Um, it's been probably, I want to say, about eight or nine years since I've heard people like use this term and talk mm -hmm. about this. Mm -hmm. And it's not even like, oh, hey, it's one of those things in our in our hobby where it's changed titles, like that, which mm -hmm. happens with stuff. Like, right. um, I I don't even hear people talk about it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think with the advent of so many podcasts and shows that people watch, they no longer have that idea of people running stuff at the table, even if they're going mm -hmm. and playing and they're enjoying with their friends and stuff like that. They look out there and they go. I want a game to be run like X person from this show yeah, or X mm. person from mm -hmm. this podcast. And they don't focus on the great things that are going on at their mm -hmm. own tables or the people that they meet. And, yeah. But with that said, I would honestly say that if I ever got to sit at the table, um, there are three people that I think could potentially be somebody that is elevated enough in a way in the way that I've listened in their podcasts mm. that I would say could run pretty much anything and I'd go sit down at their tables. Yeah. Um, and that's Aram Vartian of God's Fallen Rises of the Demigods. The way that he does story and narrative is just absolutely amazing. The way that he focuses on characters and builds story around the players and a character's backstory matters. Mm -hmm. I mean like humongously matters. Mm -hmm. um, in God's Fall there's a character who is completely like the antithesis of his family mm. and they are constantly interacting and butting heads and mm. trying to pull this character back into the super religious fold that he's mm. just not a part of anymore. Like yeah. he's just, that's not who I am. I'm mm. over here. And you guys are like, um, one of the religions in the world because, uh, God's fall, uh, the gods are dead. 
mm-hmm. um, there's a religion that's anti-gods. Mm, okay. and it's like it's like a militant version of atheism. Yeah, um, yeah. is kind of a way to describe it. Nice. And this kid is a demigod. He's a part of the new world order that's mm-hmm. being born. And his family are like, "You're not a god. There's no gods. The gods have left us. There's nothing." And he's <laughs> like, "No, I'm." I'm a new god. Like, I'm, I've been imbued with the power of so-and-so. You know I mean? Like, mm. And um, so, I'm mean, like, his family's trying to pull him back in and lock away his powers and tell him that he's not this god. And, yeah. And you get this amazing <coughs> feeling from it. And I've only ever had that from a few people at the table. Mm-hmm. Jonathan being one of them. I mean, he's very good about grabbing character backgrounds and things like that mm. and he will ask you about character questions about your character and pull that into the story mm, mm-hmm. I do my best to do that at the table and I know that I don't fit my own standard of legendary game master like, I don't I don't, I don't either <laughs> <laughs> at all not like, even close I've got a lot of work to do I'm novice uh-huh. at best <laughs> so Rob Vartian is one of them um, the other one uh, that it, he runs games in a way that I just know that I would sit down and enjoy them is uh, Pat um I think his Twitter handle is at producer Pat. For the life of me, I'm drawing a blank. He is the game master for Dungeon Rats, mm. um, and Dungeon Rats is a just absolutely hysterical podcast for D and D. They started as a stream, I believe, and people could suggest stuff during the stream, and they would grab a random monster or mm. item and add it into their stuff. <laughs> awesome. The thing about the, the reason why Pat is. Um, uh, the reason why he is a legendary game master for me is because of the way that he does, or I, I, w- I believe that if I sat down on the table, that it would be that way, is because he can grab something on the fly that somebody puts into a, a stream feed, mm-hmm. and it's in the game instantly. There's no prepping, there's no nothing, and mm-hmm. it's seamless. Mm-hmm. Like, the way yeah. that he does it is seamless. Yeah. Uh, if you ever get a chance, go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is, uh, at Pat likes to tweet, <laughs> um, Aram Vartian is at Aram Vartian, mm-hmm. um, and those are or, I'm sorry at uh, at Vartian. <laughs> uh, he is at Vartian, which is V A R T I A N. Uh, they both run games in a way that I would honestly love to be able to sit down at a table and be like, "Yes, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is awesome." Um, they are they exemplify what I look for in a game master. I've never played with them, so they're not in my actual number of mm. legendary game masters. To me, this topic is also about people that you've actually got to play with. Mm-hmm. People yeah. that like um, that have actually like exemplified that in front of you that you see because it's not edited. It's not polished. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, 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 it's not it's not super polished. It's raw. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I think that when, when a game master can do these things in the go, on the fly, that's what you want. Mm-hmm. That's what you want at a table. I mean, and um, there's no system that Jonathan would run that I wouldn't go sit at, even if I don't like the system, mm-hmm. because of the way that he runs things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Find something you hate. <laughs> no, I would, I would honestly, I would, I would sit through, um, yes, I believe the system matters, but because of the way that Jonathan runs things, um, I, I could honestly figure out a character that would work within the system, the way the system works, and enjoy the play style that he runs. You'd have a good time. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a good important. time. Yeah. Um, when I was a part of the, um, I was on a website called meetup.com where you could find like-minded people doing the same kind of 
hobbies and stuff you had. Um, when I was in that group, I never missed a game that he ran. Mm. But when other people would step up to run games, I would take a short hiatus from the group <laughs> because I watched them as a player. Uh. They're going to run a system I don't like. I didn't like the way that they played at the table. Uh. I'm not going to sit through a game with them. And, yeah. Um, that is a that is still a standard I have to this day. If you are running a system that I don't really, really enjoy, unless I've sat with you as a player and enjoyed your player style or had a really in-depth one-on-one conversation and just enjoyed you as a person, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go sit at your table. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I mean, it's... it's it, Most versions of D&D are like that for me. Um, I, I've seen people who play who run D&D run a different system. They run these other systems really amazing. They run D&D a very specific way. It's very grindy. It's very, you know, roll, R-O-L-L, play yeah. versus mm-hmm. role-playing. And... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'll be honest, my percentage for play, I would be most happy in a game that is 80% role-playing and 20% combat. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but I've played in campaigns where it was almost all political, Ooh. back and forth, Ooh. a lot of, oh, a lot of roles, uh, a lot of strategic and social roles and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh-huh. Jonathan actually had a campaign where we had uh, very little combat through some of the stuff, mm-hmm. and it was honestly one of the most fun games I've sat down to mm-hmm. because the world is so advanced and fluffed out (laughs) (laughs) that there was just so much to do outside of combat. Mm -hmm. It didn't Mm -hmm. matter. I mean, I could literally have a character that has no combat skills, all social skills, and the way that he runs stuff is your character's going to... Whatever character you bring to the table for him, he's going to make sure has the ability to have their day in the light. Mm-hmm. And not all game masters do that. Yeah, I mean, I've sat at a lot of D and D tables where I've got a player who I get approved with the DM first. I'm like, hey, this is very off the wall. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that they're going to be useful, and they're not. This is a wizard, but he doesn't know fireball. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or magic missile. <laughs> and and that, that, that's been the biggest disconnect I've always had, which is one of the reasons why I don't do Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it is not on my list of I will go sit at a table at any time mm-hmm. and do it. Is because it is so combat based that a lot of times that's all that you end up doing is combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and like that's, I said, that's the only reason why I would sit at my dad's table because he usually runs D hmm. and D and. His games are not like combat heavy. Really. So I'm gonna put you on the spot. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Is oh, no. he one of your legendary GMs? Yes, but I think it's mostly nostalgia. Uh. It's like a game run by your dad. It's like it's got that. I don't know. But let's be honest. Also, he is very. I've only ever got to talk with him, so I'd sit down with him no matter what he ran. Yeah. Um. I would learn if I really enjoy his style afterwards. But <laughs> he really enjoys screwing his players in, in unusual and creative ways. But there is always the option to not get screwed. So you have to figure out what that option is. Which is one of the reasons why I would like to sit down at a table. Because it's really fun because you have to... You, it's like playing a really interactive game of chess with him. Because he... The way he sets up the game is, yes, he's running you through this story, but at the same time, he's also kind of your adversary. And so you have to outthink him as a group. And he's a very smart man, and that's very difficult. (laughs) And his kobolds suck. (laughs) I will say, one thing I learned from Jonathan and the games that he's run 
is that a monster character from the book is a skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has done some really creative stuff with monsters that when you go look at the book, you're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> You never, ever use a monster out of the monster manual unless you just have to. Yeah. Even if you flip the, pick, flip the thing open and you read the monster monster entry, mm-hmm. why would you use that? Mm-hmm. The players all know exactly what its vulnerabilities are. Yeah, yeah. They know exactly how many hit points it has. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what its dexterity is and what its yeah. AC is and what it's just to hit yep. is. Yeah. So, obviously, you're going to change all of those things. Mm-hmm. And that's just yeah. the bare minimum. I mean, a, a goblin that breathes fire, that would be awesome, right? Yeah. <laughs> What do you feel, because I know I've, I've cornered you with this before, <laughs> um, but what are your thoughts on this? Like, what? Well, one of the games that guys I'm running with right now is uh, Charles, and he is a professional photographer, hmm. and so his visual descriptions are just epic. He has the hugest environments and the mm-hmm. biggest monsters, mm-hmm. and he can just come up with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it is so amazing. But what's even better is he lets the players be epic too. So if you yeah. want to run up and, and and climb up the iron golem with your daggers mm-hmm. and stab it in the head, he lets. He says, "Sure, why not? Go yeah. make a roll." <laughs> yeah. And so when you pull it off, he's he's just he completely rolls with it. He's uh-huh. not he's not put off. You know, some some game masters are like, "Well, you kill my monster. Now what am I going to do?" <laughs> he totally doesn't. He just pulls out another iron golem next. <laughs> but uh, that ability to make things really large is is something that not all game masters have, and it's something mm-hmm. that's just really it makes the game a lot of fun when mm-hmm. you can do that. Yeah, yeah I think I think when when players are, are are willing to assist with that as well. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I have with um, the a lot of the, the games that we're playing in right now, a lot of the players don't fluff up their stuff <laughs> when they attack and when they do Dude. things. <laughs> whatever, it's the best word for the situation. <laughs> they don't add anything to their attacks or anything like that. Okay, mm-hmm. cool, I hit. Okay, cool, there was already a description from the book. I'm done. They use the name of the move that they're using. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I attack with my sword. <laughs> That's great. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ooze. How do you attack it with your sword exactly? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one thing... Slash at it. <laughs> but I think that's one thing for me that sets a legendary game master outside of a regular game master um, is somebody who, one, is willing to let you describe your attack, mm-hmm. add your own flair, add your own stuff to it, describe, especially when you get a critical, and I mean, some game systems, there's already some stuff built into the criticals, but when you're able to take that and, like, build it even bigger, Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of people who don't let you do that, and to me, that is the difference. Like, I have a a game that I was playing in recently, and my character didn't do magic the standard way that's in the books. Mm. And it was because of their race and everything like that. Like, who they were, just magic was a little bit different. And I would try and give, like, a short description. Uh, For instance, I had a magical ability that um, uh, creates natural armor on my body. Mm -hmm. Like, it takes my skin and just makes it armor. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, this wasn't D&D, so it's not... uh, I think they call that steel skin or something like that, Mm -hmm. but... um, And so what I described it as is my skin takes a copper tone, because I was was an auburn creature. Like, I had fur and... um, He was a weasel. uh, A humanoid (laughs) weasel thing. A ferret. Um, So I said my skin... I said my fur takes a copper tone, 
and a metal shear to it. And I was only allowed to ever do that once, and I cast mm. that spell like six times during our <laughs> gameplay. Not, not, not like at once, but... Uh, so like that was very disheartening to me because like my magic has a different flair to it, it mm. had a different thing that comes to it. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so for me, that's one thing that always does the game master let you do those little flares. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like I understand, yeah. okay, you're trying to buy a million things in town. Let's hurry this up. <laughs> but Mr. Like, RPG Hour likes to have his magical girl moment. I do like to have that. I think we all do. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever like been told no. I can't describe this or yeah. the same thing with you. It, it's not yeah. necessarily being told no. It's more just not allowing that in the pacing of the game. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's like, okay, you do that now. What? For me, a legendary yeah. game master looks to you when you're describing your stuff. Okay, uh -huh. is that how it happens? They they may or may not ask questions. Yeah. A regular game master is going to just keep the flow going. Mm -hmm. And while that's not bad, keeping pace and everything is great, I've seen legendary game masters allow those added flares and the pacing stays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that's something we do in ours. Um, you know, Kenny, when we finish off a guy, Kenny, immediately, it's not even like an option almost. It's like, mm -hmm. how, how did you do it? Like, yeah, you yes, killed him. How did you, how did you kill him? Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah I've noticed that, 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 that there's some step, there's, there's, I've definitely heard that in y'all's podcasts is where like, there's, there's that added, you know, what, what is this? How is this? Yeah. Uh, which is, which is nice to hear because you don't hear that a lot of times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then I also notice in the same things where sometimes, um, You'll 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 keep the pace going. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And then like there's there, there wasn't much description on things, and I'm like, yeah. no, wait, go back, go back. I want to hear more about that situation. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not saying that you're. It's a work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> I would put you on par with being a good GM. Oh, well, I'm I'll not saying <laughs> like for me there's legendary game masters there's great game masters there's good game masters yeah. and then there's the people that really shouldn't be running games <laughs> and for me there's a huge gap like if you're oh, a good yeah. there's people that run games uh, there's good game masters people that run games and people that shouldn't even touch it um, and so I think there's a huge gap between that mm -hmm. and I think yeah, you're a good game master you've got rough edges you can oh, easily yeah. be a great game master mm -hmm. Um, and knowing that y'all are that fresh, mm -hmm. I see that that's why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. And, you know, I'm not trying to be disheartening or anything. No, not at all. I'll take it. <laughs> like, I'm actually stoked about that. <laughs> like, you've got a lot of... You've got a lot of... Game Master. Yes. <laughs> you've got a lot of good things about you that you could build into being, honestly, legendary. Oh, In yeah. my book, just based on what I've heard, like, you've got those startings. And knowing that you're that new and things like mm -hmm. that, like, you've got time. And, like, some people are so set in their ways. Mm. Like, I used to have a very specific style that I ran. And it was mm -hmm. after I learned from him and after I did things, but I railroaded the players so hard. Mm -hmm. And, no, no, not, this is after I was with you. Oh, really? Yeah. I only did minor railroading with <laughs> okay. you guys. Like, uh, and I still do minor railroading. I like, I, I like to, I, I'm not as good as making the players roll back on themselves like he is. Um, but I mean sometimes you have to railroad for the story. Mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't I don't I do not see railroading as a negative. I know there's a lot of people out there that are yeah, like railroading you're a bad game master if you railroad. Mm -hmm. If all you do is railroad, then hell yeah. That's a bad GM. Mm -hmm. Get the hell yeah. off the table for a minute. On the other hand, there's only so many days they can spend shopping. Come mm -hmm. on, yes. people. There's a question. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that's something different. Like, what? Are you fishing again? <laughs> <laughs> but I gotta get the pauldrons that match the rest of my armor. I need a set bonus. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I, I had a period where I railroaded real hard where it was mm -hmm. basically like 
here's the plot line to Lord of the Rings. And, like, you know, <laughs> the players weren't allowed to deviate from it very uh-huh. much. And, um, and uh, that was my, before I met Jonathan, um, there was a couple Game Masters before Jonathan that helped break me of that. Jonathan continued that. And then I just hit this period where I was very railroady. And then I broke it. And um, that was shortly before I met Mrs. RPG Hour. And uh, <laughs> I, I minor railroading. Me off the table. <laughs> they would have because I refuse to be railroaded. <laughs> I don't see minor railroading as an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in fact, there's been times where she's encouraged the railroading because of. I mean, without a little railroading, you, the story doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, and so there's been times where like players are just no, like, no, we don't call it railroading. We call it random encounters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I, I actually have a gentle a, nudge in the right direction. I have a D100 of urban encounters for the campaign that they're in right now. It is literally 100 different encounters. We will probably hit all of them on those before encounters we, before we hit the main quest. <laughs> you guys aren't. You, let's be honest. You guys don't even care about the main quest. <laughs> no, I mean, hence the name of the group. Yeah, uh, our, our actual play is called Side Quest Heroics. Uh, <laughs> there's no, there's no, I, and, and the thing is, is that um, it is a, it's a major tale that's happening on this continent. There are five adventuring groups that are somewhat associated with them because they're a part of a guild, mm-hmm. and um, those five groups are actually doing the main storyline, and I'm keeping track of it on paper, like what they go and do, the items they we're, find, and things like that. We're the ones that are supposed to be the heroes, but we were like, nah. <laughs> I started y'all on the preface of, uh, let's keep going with what we did before, because we, we moved out of Austin for a while and we came back, and so it was, why don't we get back to the side quest fun that we were having, there's going to be a main story that you guys will minorly encounter on occasion but for the most part it's all about side quests mm-hmm. so it's and, the Elder Scrolls yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the and so Dean one of our live plays and my wife of course uh, were a part of this original group and they were like yeah let's do this and uh, then they said well hey Larry why don't you come and join a different Larry we've got two Larrys at the table myself and uh, the other one and uh, he said sure why not it's Rollmaster I love Rollmaster and we had a couple of other people come in and out during that time and then we ended up with Bill, who is our, our local celebrity. Um, and uh, so that's that's how that group got started. And they're everything epic about the stories happening outside of them. And, um, and something that I something that I learned from Jonathan is uh, part of the reason why I'm telling this whole story. Something I learned from Jonathan is stuff happens that your characters were offered that's no longer available because it was timed event. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, Whether yeah. the players know that it's a timed event or not mm-hmm. doesn't matter. <laughs> so I've got I've got things that they get offered. Um, um, they had a side quest one time that was offered for them to escort a um, uh, uh, a merchant guild. Uh, I think it was like a hall of food or something like that. Not exactly the most adventurous thing or whatever. It was just mm-hmm. to a nearby town and back. Yeah. No, but we're not going to do it or whatever. Well, I had a reason I didn't want to go. I don't necessarily have the best relationship with any merchant skilled <laughs> at all, ever. <laughs> One guy, Philip. You have a good relationship well, with Philip, but that's... Yeah, that's because he randomly likes me. <laughs> he likes all of y'all because of what y'all did. And, um, what, destroy the town on accident? Sure, cool. <laughs> Not destroy the town. Yeah. Oh, we almost did. Y'all were part of the, the religious riots in the religious sector. But that's <laughs> yeah. But no, Philip liked y'all because of all the stuff that y'all did at the mine, remember? Yes. <laughs> I do remember. So, um, they, they went and did a bunch of stuff. 
took them about four or five days in game to do all this other stuff and they came back. And they decided, well, let's go ahead and go talk to the Merchant's Guild and try and pick that back up. And they went over there and they're like, oh, well, that's already gone. It's 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 on its way mm. back now. I mean, yeah. if something happens, we'll let you know. And we yeah. can escort it back. <laughs> yeah. We can meet it and escort it back, but that's not. Um, and, and their contacts is this guy named Philip and Philip was like, no, we had to hire the Mercenaries Guild and we actually ended up having to pay him twice as much. The stuff that they went to do turned out not to be what they thought it was. Mm-hmm. They didn't get as big of a payout. Yeah. So they didn't came they accidentally back. get married on that one? No, that's that's the one before this one. Oh, okay. Uh, that was the one before this one. Um, and uh, so they went back and they were trying to get it. And so that was that was something that I learned from Jonathan. That until Jonathan had never come into play at a table, had never come into play. I'm not even kidding. This is... <laughs> in the past, it was always like, oh, well, you can always go back and pick things up no matter how long it's been. And that that never really made sense to me. But I was yeah. like, well, I guess that's just a thing that you do at tabletop role-playing mm-hmm. game. I guess things don't really move and mm-hmm. turn and yeah. keep yeah. on. And when he did that, I was like, no, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> so that's been... Well, and one of the good things about having things going on in the background in your campaigns is you can do really neat plot tricks, like uh, have running mirror, mirror uh, sessions where your players are playing as their characters in, in, in one part of the session, and then you flip them over to a different adventuring party and they get pregens, and all of a sudden they're doing another storyline mm-hmm. that may have bearing on what they're doing, but it's not their characters, it's something completely different, and it's something brand new for them, and it's just something that most players have never gotten to do before. Yeah. And so most of them were like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I'm a cool game master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we had a game that we played. Um, Jonathan was running and myself and uh, a gentleman by the name of Matt and um, Dan. Mm. Um, so <laughs> Matt and Dan uh, and I were playing this game. There was a couple other people at the table. Um, and uh, but we all created three characters, and we had no clue why we created these three characters. Uh-huh. And Jonathan had us decide, you know, what is our main party? What would be a character for this type of situation? What would be a character for this type of situation? No clue why this would happen. All of a sudden, in the middle of the session, the three of us had gone off to do something. He's like, "Grab your characters for this situation, mm-hmm. okay? Y'all are going to rejoin the main party. We're going to deal with those with your other characters that have been in the main party later." <laughs> and so we had these other characters kind of pop out of nowhere they started interacting with the party they uh-huh. dealt with some stuff for a little while and then they went on their own again and then um, we took a break for a while but the three of us were still in game and we had to deal with all these things that happened uh-huh. to our characters in this other dungeon and hmm. um, and then when we came back uh, to the table um, because our other characters had already left they played for a while we took a break we came back in our characters rejoined and it was a really interesting just completely fluid situation because we already had characters created. Mm-hmm. We already had these things that we had no clue were going to happen. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was just it was a real strange thing that I'd never experienced before. That just uh, and he does it f- like it's completely fluid. It's just it's there. It's <laughs> it's it's it's. it's Spitwork, bravado, and luck. <laughs> <laughs> I think I tried to do something similar to that on the airship when we did the airship stuff, and I brought. Mm. Alex's uh, our characters that we had in mm-hmm. Alex's campaign yeah. into mm-hmm. my campaign. Yeah, which that was cool because they were they were already pre-made from another campaign. Mm-hmm. But then it was just like, oh, also your character sheet from the other campaign. Here you go. Yeah, you're gonna need these characters. <laughs> yeah, and then, then you guys ended up railroading that one too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I've tried it before a couple of times. I've had some success and haven't had other success. 
Um, but I'm also from a very old school method that I that uh, Jonathan practices and a lot of game masters that are in my legendary uh, game master list, two of the three, um, believe this is you have a backup character, what's called a buck. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm, I'm very adamant when I have games, like you need a buck. Mm-hmm. Your character could die at any point, anything could happen. You may decide that you don't want to play that character anymore, you want them to retire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need that buck so that one, the game doesn't get held up which is something that I really learned with his campaigns. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, But I mean, I've also, uh, another game master that did bucks, they die. When they die, it sucks sitting there uh-huh. trying to create another character when you're hearing all this epic stuff that you don't get to be a part of. Yeah. Or if, if you had a buck, you could just write back into the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's very and, true. Um, I think, I think, and, I, and I know it sounds weird, but when a game master tells you you need to have a buck versus when they don't, to me is a type of experience that I honor mm-hmm. that like I'm I'm very much like I'm going to listen to what you have to say I'm going to follow I'm expecting amazing great things because even if that never happens even if I never use that buck I know that anything could have happened at any time and I would have never missed gameplay mm-hmm. and that to me is why bucks are so important and I even in new games I don't see that a whole lot mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that, the, that that's something that Definitely stands a game master above. If you tell players to have a buck, to me that's just hands, you know, you know. And I'm trying to get the players in our other game to make bucks, but um, everyone's kind of reluctant to it. And I'm like, uh, and and uh, the, the, our live play is uh, a game called Harp, it's which if Wesley is Wesley dies, I'm gonna riot. <laughs> uh, Harp is basically a streamlined version of all the Rollmaster stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of the rules are a little wonky compared to Rollmaster. Rollmaster does some certain things better, yeah. um, but it's also basically a D and D version of Rollmaster. Okay. Um, if you've played D and D, it's a little easier to pick up than just grabbing the Rollmaster stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also and... a little less overwhelming in general because there's not as many charts. Yeah. Um, you don't have as much stuff to keep track of. Spell charts. Spell charts. Do me a favor. Hand and me then, like, the, the, the main book for Rollmaster Standard. The, the Arms Law and Spell Law. The uh, the. And then uh, how you don't mind handing me the heart. Where's the heart? Uh, should be right as well. You see it? Yeah, it is right next to it. Just how combat right. works, as far as like how much time you have versus. You know, in everything else, it's not necessarily time; it's actions, mm-hmm. including the index at the back of the book. Harp is two hundred and three pages. This is everything you need to create your characters. It has the game master stuff. It has monsters and things like that in there. Yeah. Um, there is actually magic in here. There is all of the stuff for your weapons. There are other books that bolster it, um, but like I said, this entire thing uh, is just two hundred and three pages. Now let's get to Rollmaster Standard. Which but let me preface this. I love Rollmaster Standard. It is one of my favorite versions of Rollmaster. Um and it is a predecessor to Harp. Rollmaster Arms Law, which is just the book for your weapons, is 144 pages. Of charts. S- of charts. <laughs> uh, well, s- fifty pages of charts. <laughs> uh Spell Law, which is all of the magic, which by the way, uh, if you've never played Rollmaster, um every rank that you put into a type of magic is a new, potentially a new spell that you're going to get on a list. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that mechanic is just really cool. It's mm. so cool. Um, <laughs> so spell law is 287 pages. Mm-hmm. Rollmaster standard, which is your classes. Uh, there's actually creatures in here. So these three books you could actually run the entire game with. 
um, this book, which is the main rules, is 351 pages long. Damn. <laughs> this is over 600 pages of game versus harp, which is 300. <laughs> and the harp book technically does everything that the three rule master books does. Mm. If you do not mind, put those back on my shelf, please. <laughs> not at all. Um, and so uh, uh, it's a very streamlined version. Mm -hmm. I find it a lot easier to run things in Harp, which originally Rollmaster Standard was going to be what I was going to use for the podcast. And I found myself consistently having trouble making the NPCs I needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I already owned Harp at the time. Um, and so um, I, I, I looked at something that Jonathan used to used to talk to me about, and it was if you're having if you're taking too much time to prep, and you're not enjoying the prep, it might not be what you need to be running. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, all right. And then um, one of my other legendary game masters, uh, his name is Pat, and he was very much the rules matter. And he ran D and D three O with never having opened the book. He had other player. He us as players were being like, "Hey, this is how the rules go." Okay, cool. Roll what you need to. Mm -hmm. And he learned the rules, but at first, when we first started playing, didn't know the rules. Like, he, he's like it's fantasy RPG. Let's do this. Like, um, and, and he's run some really cool stuff. Um, and I've learned about some really cool off the wall RPGs because of him. And um, so I'm mean, like, that's that's why he was one, that's why he's one of my legendary ma game masters. So he can literally run any game without really knowing the rules, and he'll learn them as he goes and use what he needs. And like, there's entire sections of D and D where he just was like, "Cool, that doesn't exist in my world." <laughs> and like, so I mean, there was really cool stuff that he did, and um, his voice was in the back of my head as well as like, "You're taking too long to prep. No one's actually going to get to play the game. Is that really worth it?" And mm -hmm. so I had to take a step back, look at systems, and that's why I chose Harp. Because it is a very simple version of Rollmaster to run. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, two legendary game masters, like floating heads in a, in, in a movie, talking <laughs> to me, telling me what I need to do. Um, I realize, you know, i got to take a step back. Mm -hmm. um, but no, most of, the, most of the advice that I use for how I run my games comes from mainly two of those people. Mm -hmm. And lucky enough, we have Jonathan here today to kind of talk about things. Uh, as much as he's... Okay, well, we've talked a lot. What do you guys like in a game master? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think it, it's interesting because now we got this the newer viewpoint. Like you were saying, mm -hmm. um, it's not re legendary game master isn't really a term that you hear that mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Um, and so, so I was thinking about what I would consider a legendary game master, and I was going back to a lot of the podcasts that I had started listening to, mm -hmm. and... And uh, Jason Massey sticks out from Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a great storyteller, and the way that he has uh, worked multiple campaigns in together into one story, it, I, it blows my mind. The world that he's created. Mm -hmm. But recently, I haven't been able to listen to too many podcasts because I keep comparing them to Kitty. <laughs> and, and, we, and we just have so much fun. And, and it's mm -hmm. also, like you were saying. You have to be at the table with these people to really determine if they are what you would consider a legendary GM. Right. And just having one person, you know, GMing at the table, it's so much different than listening to them over podcasts that it's, mm -hmm. it's hard for me to compare the two now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think, I think, since you mentioned Jason already, because he's like, you know, from DNR, he's one of my favorites mm -hmm. of all time. 
Um, I really like uh, like Griffin from from Adventure Zone a mm. lot, especially because that was the first D and D podcast I listened to ever. And then they run multiple systems, which is where I wanted to. I I really want to do Monster of the Week. Yeah, they run Monster yeah. of the Week, and it's mm. really cool. But his world is just so immersive and unique, and and that's like something I'm trying to work on is like because if I can work on describing things better like he does it would just be so like like you're there yeah it's, it's, you know which is awesome yeah. I love how he just like you get you get teleported to that world when you listen to them so yeah. and I haven't had a chance to play with a lot of DMs. You know, I've played with you DMing like two or three games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Alex. He was pointing at Henry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely the immersion. Whenever I'm GMing, that's what I try to, mm-hmm. I try to get the most descriptive I can. To tr- mm-hmm. I like, I love going on about smells because I, nobody yes. ever describes how something smells. Know, right? yeah. So when you describe something, people, that sticks in their memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, just little things. Uh, mm-hmm. I love tiny details, but it was similar with <laughs> with us, like with the sand, and we didn't trust you mentioning the sand. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, they go into a tavern, and I just, descri- I'll just off the, you know, cuff describe a few people in the tavern, and then also oh, I want to go talk to these guys, and now I got to come up with a name and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I started just doing a list of yes. names yes, and then what... just rolling random traits <laughs> for yes. each person, mm-hmm. so yeah. it's like okay, you know, this is. Like Orochi, that was a random character that I, you know, just had to come up with. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, what, you know, he's drunk and he's clumsy. So yeah. how am I going to play that out? Okay, I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, um, sorry. Uh, in Shadow of the Demon Lord, mm-hmm. the uh, the author talks about the game mastering section. I love reading game mastering sections <laughs> in role playing manuals. But uh, in the in Shadow of the Demon Lord, he, he had some advice that there wasn't any. That I haven't seen anywhere else. And he said, don't describe too much because what you don't describe is what the players are going to fill in with their imagination. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, they go, aha, I found something that's that's in here that I was supposed to find. <laughs> and you're like, yes, that is exactly right. <laughs> For example, you know, if you, tell, if you tell them you walk into a bar, then the first thing that hits you when you walk into the bar is the smell. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. So you describe that. You see, you see the, the tables and the, the bar, but that's no big deal. They know how those look. So you say it's a western style bar. There's a mm-hmm. bull, there's a bull over in the in the corner that's mechanical. They write on it, and everybody's got a picture of the bar in their minds. So when they go to combat, they can say, "Okay, I'm going to pick up a glass bottle." Obviously, there's a glass bottle. It's a western style bar. So yeah. you go, "Okay, yeah, you do that." <laughs> yeah, you really have to find that perfect balance between a really good description, but it's a lot of description, and it's just way too much, and then. Zero description whatsoever. Exactly. You got to find that perfect spot, right. and uh, I guess that's really hard to do, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it takes practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, practice. It just that's takes true. Practice. That's true. Experience. Yeah. Well, and it's different for different groups too. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. true. <laughs> like some some groups, like the group I had back in high school when my dad was running for us, um, <laughs> we did really well under his like literally adversarial setup, <laughs> where like we really did have to outthink him in order to do thing, in order to not necessarily progress in the campaign, but to to have a good outcome. Mm. And so that was really really good for us because you know now as a player at other tables, I have really good critical thinking skills because mm-hmm. I played under duress <laughs> in a way that made me think outside of the box of, okay, my character has 
this set of skills, what things in that would be, you can make the logical leaps of, you know, that makes sense to be able to do, what can I do with these skills? Mm-hmm. And his running style, I think, is actually really great for new players because it forces you to come up with creative solutions to big problems. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Like... A black dragon <laughs> as level one characters. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> that was that was really fun. We ended up we. <coughs> I. I come up with interesting ways to get myself in trouble, <laughs> but it, it worked really well, and we had a lot of fun. It was always and it was like an every week Friday night group that we had where my dad was running a game for us, and it was honestly some of the best times because we you know, we get our snacks we'd sit down and it's like we would run we, we'd get home probably like seven o'clock or so and we would run until three four o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and you know my dad he had binders of adventures and he would just you know pull the binder out that he's run you know he'd run the same campaign for different groups for decades and so he already knows what's gonna happen mm-hmm. he just wants to see how you as players interact with the environment mm-hmm. and so you know he, he the way he just ran things was always just so much fun and it's like he would say oh you know he would tell us later he's like yeah a group i ran 20 years ago they did this and you know it got them over here a lot faster so maybe next <laughs> yeah. time think about that <laughs> it's interesting to think about like like if we bet went back to our episode one or episode zero even where mm-hmm. with a whole different group of people like what would have changed because you guys messed up so much oh stuff. yeah <laughs> we, we have no I, idea I name names if you ever go check out their podcast it's not for everybody no it's <laughs> um, it, it, it's 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 um uh, somebody jumps up on an altar oh, and pees <laughs> on oh, a uh, uh, oh. on the altar yeah um, and then very quickly gets knocked out. They do not get rewarded for being an idiot. Not yeah, heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, those, those early episodes were rough. <laughs> and not the first time you tried to pee on something either. <laughs> no, not the first. But I just wonder how another group would have handled it. Yeah, them. oh, yeah. What would have changed? A whole heck of a lot. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I, well and just because um, that was we were still figuring out like you were saying the the balance of description where mm-hmm. we, something would be described and we get caught up on it and be like is this something we need to worry about and then yeah. it's like oh, no nah, man I was just giving you flavor mm-hmm. you're, right. you're getting distracted by you know a house uh-huh. in the background <laughs> yeah and that happened a couple times where you because I think actually in those early episodes that's so long ago now but you guys had gone into the church and then left and then went back when you weren't supposed to and I ended up having to like come up with Oh some yeah, stuff well because the guy who was peeing on the altar we'd left him unconscious and yeah. had the snow drift. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah, and the people in the tavern were like, you know it's not safe outside. Yeah. <laughs> Might be dead. Oh, crap, okay. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be a murderer. <laughs> well, and to be fair, when y'all returned, somebody decided to try and disguise themselves as a priest, and the priest from that temple already didn't seem much like a regular priest. <laughs> and so it's like, I'm gonna go in and be priestly. And they're like, cool story, bro. Get out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know you're not from here. <laughs> yeah. Like they're the least least likely priest uh, to accept another priest. <laughs> 
We had we have pretty good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting better because now we're able to successfully not murder anybody and yeah. and, and grab the bad guy. <laughs> we just have a solid group now. Yeah. <laughs> we figured out how to not be complete idiots, just sometimes <laughs> idiots. <laughs> but but I am definitely something I want to do is like just play with as many GMs as possible because like yeah, you were saying too. you get these talking heads over you telling you no this is how you should do it or like remember when this was fun like it's, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah that's what I that's want good. <laughs> yeah. no it helps um, I, like I said I've been gaming for 14 years a majority of that has been as a player but when I get to sit down to a game master like I have a set standard for the kind of person I'm going to sit down to. Mm-hmm. If I don't have a decent certain kind of conversation when I'm playing, when I'm just talking with them, mm-hmm. I'm not going to want to play with them. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. even as them as a player. Like, yeah. the, That's very true. Sadly, they are no longer a publishing company. Uh, the Guardians of Order, who did the TriStat system, which is uh, the system behind Vesum, mm. they wrote some of the most thought-provoking things in their books um, I sadly they didn't put it inside of the front of Bessem and I don't have my copy of uh, Tristat with me oh, yeah. but originally in the beginning of a lot of their books they have a statement that basically says if the rules don't work for your game forget them you're here to have a good time mm-hmm. like it was very it was very much a situation where you're like wait a second what <laughs> they're, they're telling me to forget about the rules that they wrote <laughs> I mean it, 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 it was right there in the front mm-hmm. in old D&D games you had to go find it in the middle of the DMG, mm. like halfway through the book. Oh, yeah. It's still there in current. It's still yeah. halfway in the book. <laughs> like, like, it's, it's, I mean, Gygax used to not purposely hide it, but I mean, mm. it was in the middle of sections that made sense for it to be there. Mm-hmm. But Guardians of Order was like, here's our front page. You guys read this before you get into it. Um, but another thing that they did is they had uh, sections for advice for the player and advice for uh, the GM. I'm just going to read you the um, headlines, and of course, this is for Bessem, so uh, I'm just going to read down the list, so some of them aren't going to apply to our topic here, <laughs> but um, they they kind of will. One, watch lots of anime. Two, <laughs> define the setting and genre. Three, encourage innovative thinking during character creation. Four, the characters are the main focus. Five, combat is not the main focus. <laughs> Six, keep dice rolling to a minimum. Seven, allow for special effects. Eight, use character deficits, or sorry, defects to benefit the game. Nine, downplay the abilities of unimportant NPCs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, number ten, go outside the rules. Mm-hmm. These are just their like top ten things for a game master to consider. Mm-hmm. But I feel like how you follow that set of standards is the difference between a legendary game master, a great game master, a good game master, somebody who's running games, and somebody who shouldn't be running games. Um, Because I would replace watch lots of anime with know a lot of reference material. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're running a... Consume a lot of media. mm -hmm. (laughs) We were talking about this earlier um, uh, off off mic. Uh, Jonathan and I were talking about a a favorite of mine, uh, a a setting called uh, Blue Rose. And Blue Rose is, like, just the absolute, like, here is the definition of a romantic RPG. And by romantic, I don't mean, like, um... Valentine's Day's coming up. Yeah, I don't mean, I don't mean like that. I don't mean, um... Subtle reminder. <laughs> I don't... Romantic RPG, I don't mean in a sense of, like, romance, it, it, like, between two people. 
Um, I mean, romantic fantasy, where it's the idea is that your character is the hero. Your character is this villain who could be turned into a hero. Um, you know, elves are this big, beautiful race. And Star Wars is like a romantic fantasy. Yeah, it's kind of a romanticized version of things. Um, and so, uh, Blue Rose. Opera, but yeah. <laughs> yes, but I mean, if you think about it in like the beings with mystical powers, different races. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> it, it's. I would say it's a romantic science fantasy. Well, yes. Um, but it's just to give people a point of reference for what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> but yeah, so Blue Rose is a really interesting thing where uh, you have your, your active, like, mortal self, and then you have your dream state self. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those can be very different people. They can be very uh, different genders, different races. I mean, there's things that can happen between them. Uh, I would say this romantic fantasy tends to focus more on... The, yourself and your sense of self and your relationship with yourself and with your relationship with the people around you as opposed to other kinds of fantasy which maybe maybe has to do more with the tension between the races or politics mm-hmm. or magic or, or combat mm-hmm. yeah. but but with, but with romantic fantasy it's lo- it, lots of times it's about finding a sense of belonging and finding a sense of being comfortable with yourself. Okay. Which it, may not sound like a good recipe for great drama, but it actually is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not for everybody. But if you're going to run Blue Rose, there's a lot you have to read. There's a mm. lot of specific types of literature you have to read. Um, oh, my goodness. My brain just blanked on the author that we were talking about earlier. That sounds so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the same in any system. It's just... Mm. We don't get exposed to as much. Mercedes yeah. Lackey. <laughs> Mercedes Lackey, there we go, sorry. <laughs> and, and Tamora Pierce, other authors like yeah. them. Mm-hmm. In the mainstream, we, we get, uh, we get uh, exposed to a lot of superheroes mm-hmm. because there are movies about superheroes. Yeah. And so we can run superhero games because we've seen a lot of media about mm-hmm. it. No big deal. Mm-hmm. We've read comic books. We've seen graphic novels. Yeah. Uh, high fantasy like yeah. Lord of the Rings or... Uh, Dragon Quest, Dragonlance, mm-hmm. or uh, Forgotten Realms. We've seen, we've just had that stuff hammered into our heads. Mm-hmm. So we've seen a lot of media mm-hmm. in the, in those other ones. Uh, when you're branching out into a new genre that you maybe haven't done before, you need to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It yeah, just, you have to do it a little more intentionally because mm-hmm. it's not as saturated in the in the uh, culture. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Granted, I you have read a, a really a... weird search history. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so much. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, I've read a lot of Mercedes Lackey. I'm sorry, NSA, so... I didn't mean that search. <laughs> <laughs> my, my personal NSA agent, I am really sorry for what you're about to witness. But I promise it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> Uh, I mean, uh, romantic fantasy, I've read a lot of authors within that genre. Uh, Mercedes Lackey is kind of, I'd say, one of the more popular ones. Uh uh, Because, I mean, you can go and amongst all the stuff for Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and stuff like that, hers is like right there, right next to it, suggested, you know? It fits in really well. Um, And so, I mean, it's not, in all honesty, there's a lot of anime that you can watch that's very romantic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Romantic fantasy. And so, um, it's. It also has a really interesting mechanic where you have two selves, and that just you don't see that in a whole lot of mm-hmm. RPGs. Yeah, um, and and I think that that's something that is just kind of really unique about it. There's two editions of it. Uh, there's one that's for the old True Twenty system that came out, and there's one for the newer Age system that came out. Um, True Twenty was something out of the D and D open license era. Hmm. Uh, it's it streamlined everything about D and D down to one die. 
just a D20. Hmm. Oh, wow. Um, and it's it's um, it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I do prefer a pool of dice, but I really got into True 20 for a while mm-hmm. because of how streamlined it was. Yeah. It made D&D go even faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it lets you focus on the narrative a lot more. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it really was more narrative-based. Mm-hmm. So if you liked D&D and you liked D20, but you wanted narrative, it was a good, good system for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. And then um, and and Blue Rose when they came out with Blue Rose that was their that was their way of saying we're not just writing a system that's a D and D system we want to show you something different and that's what Blue Rose was and I mean it was it still is a huge step out of the norm of fantasy mm-hmm. and there's just not a whole lot that can contend with it like if you were to create a, a romantic fantasy um, category there'd be two RPGs in it. <laughs> it'd be Blue Rose well technically three because there's Blue Rose edition for True 20 True. Blue Rose for Age mm-hmm. and then you've got Bluebeard's uh, Bluebeard's Ghost I think is uh, the other one that I was reading mm-hmm. about the other day no. which is a powered by the Apocalypse game mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, from they describe it as a romantic I haven't read it but they described it as a romantic fantasy and I was like so cool there's a third oh. one in the genre <laughs> nice um, but yeah so I'm like those are those are this is literally from Besson from this this is almost an exact like, what we've been talking about this entire time that I look for, like, yes, my Game Master needs to have these standards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, you know, that that's my list. If you were to have to create a list, what would you say would be your list, Kenny? You want ten? You don't have to do ten. <laughs> um, at, at, like, oh, at, least, at least your top three things that you are or from this five. point forward, or, or top five. five. No, no, uh, no. Oh, 3.5, point point y'all, y'all suck. Yeah. <laughs> um, what but would you say are like? If you some need of to your... fluff it out. It's okay. <laughs> I will throw hot sauce at you. I don't care about splash damage on a child. I will throw hot sauce at you. Um, <laughs> uh, what would you say is your top list of stuff that you'll look for in a game master going forward? Hmm. Or aspire toward. Or aspire toward. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm being really critical of myself, so I <laughs> don't do that. I think that I would I would want someone who has what I have, but the trait the things that I'm not good at, they can Which what would be those better. Be? So those things would be, you know, obviously describing everything from combat to environment mm-hmm. to uh, and then going further on that, another thing, you know, backstories, having better, more elaborate backstories for each and everything. So I think that makes everything super immersive. Mm-hmm. But don't and spend too long on it. Or else you won't have time for that. <laughs> Even if you don't read them, though, it's good to have. Yeah. Yes. Well, and you can always have a wiki page. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Because Nick asked me a question last night, and I was like, you know, I'm not, because, you know, normally it's like, you know, I'll have something ready off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I was like, honestly, dude, I don't actually have that. Oh, you don't know. It was what year it was now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I said, I, hate that. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Does it, well, he, that was also <laughs> the question <laughs> that he re-asked because it's they had been, <laughs> yes, so a time jump kind of thing had happened and I told him how much time and then he re-asked me and I thought mm. he was trying to mess with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, did you? No. Anyway. Um. The third thing I would want... I don't like being put on the spot. i got to think of the third thing. Well, yeah, let's, let's go to Alex. Alex, think of a third what thing. What do you now expect more out of Kenny 
I <laughs> 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 want from you. <laughs> what would you say going forward is something that you would look for in a game master that you would hope that they'd be a legendary game mm, master? Mm, just, um, so I think okay. one that I think everyone can agree on, I think it's almost like a really basic answer, is just descriptions in general. Um, I think that can always be improved on. Um, but also I think just being able to uh, kind of maybe streamline some things and maybe adapt to how their characters are playing and maybe you see that the the players are having more fun with combat and they enjoy that so much more in the descriptions in combat and stuff and then when you head out onto the road or something or into a town and you start to talk to people they're like eh when are we going to go fight some stuff uh, I think just being able to adapt to however your players are able or how they like to play uh, D&D an example um, and just being able to adapt for that is I think really good really really nice <laughs> alright Henry same question uh, I think one, one thing that I'm, I've thinking, been thinking about recently is more narrative driven because I, I have previously liked combat you know ooh, I love that but mm-hmm. um, yeah getting bogged down in dice rolls it, it kind of slows a lot of things down and, mm-hmm. and really if the purpose is to have a story then you then if we're all stopping to just roll to, to see and then none of us you know ace that perception check so I guess we don't get to do the story the mm-hmm. cool story yeah so, <laughs> so I think be, having a, a GM that's more narrative driven mm-hmm. um, is something I'd be interested also having mm-hmm. one who is uh, really capable of bringing everyone's characters in because sometimes mm-hmm. you have the the person who wrote their character but there's you know and this is my my outlet right i'm a shy guy but i made this awesome barbarian <laughs> or this awesome mage and then but they don't know how to bring it out there so if yeah. you have a gm who can pull the shy person mm-hmm. into the campaign i mm-hmm. that's something that, mm-hmm. that's something i'm going to try to aspire to do yeah. <laughs> putting that's putting funny. everybody in the giving everybody their time to shine mm-hmm. yeah i think it's super important because mm-hmm. i know we it hasn't it's been a long time but we've played games where I was like I felt like useless or like I shouldn't have been yeah. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you give everybody their moment, mm-hmm. it it really like it brings them in further and it, it mm-hmm. just it gets people excited. Yeah. yeah. Or how about when you're the cleric and you're stuck healing every <laughs> single time? It's like I can't get any turns of attack because yeah. I'm always healing. Yeah. Uh, Stop taking damage. <laughs> I think I think another thing I would be that would actually get me stoked if I if I were to be going into a fresh group that I had never played with and the something that would put me on I feel like I'm on the right track is if the GM like you said like here are my rules um, you know you need to have a backup character mm-hmm. that uh, knowing that the GM has this set expectations uh-huh. standard yeah standard makes me know realize okay this is a higher quality like I need to bring myself up to that standard because mm-hmm. there's yeah there's expectations here yeah and we've and we've all played together for you know, I jumped in a few months after you guys had started mm-hmm. playing already. Right. So when I when I joined in, y'all were still figuring things out, yeah. and then I brought Nick in, and we kind of figured everything out together mm-hmm. and adapted with each other to a group that you know, because we did have six at one point, yeah. and now there's four of us, yeah. and we kind of adapted together, and we all uh, we just worked. Pretty much learned how to play together. together now, yeah. 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 
That's why I want to get some new GMs. I want to go down to Dragon Slayer or something. Jump <laughs> yeah. The game. Well, mm-hmm. one thing that is important to your ability as a GM is experimenting. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. especially if you've got a group that you're you've you've uh, that you're comfortable with that will allow you to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Experimenting is a great way to experience new stuff. Your mm-hmm. players get new stuff, and so yeah, it's it's a win win for mm-hmm. everybody. And if it doesn't work out, then eh, well, they do better we, next we session. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least now you know. You gain yeah, that yeah, information. Definitely. So. I definitely think it would be cool to sit in with somebody else as a player in just a group that I've never played with at all before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. to see what it's like to sit down with another group. Mm-hmm. I've talked a lot about it. <laughs> We've all kind of talked a lot about it, but what do you look for in Mrs. RPG Hour and so, a Game Master? So what I look for is a balance between story storytelling and rules um because to me (coughs) telling a great story is fun and all but if there's not a lot of things to interact with if there Mm -hmm. isn't like tension and you know a lot of that tension does come from combat Mm -hmm. if there's not you know something drawing me into the story to you know progress us through then it's kind of boring Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay if combat is the only place for us exciting, then you're telling no. the wrong story. <laughs> That's true. But I have played in several games where it's like other characters were trying to avoid combat at all costs, but everything was kind of leading us down a path to this one, you know, a big fight that was going to open up other things for us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, come on, let's go. This I've spent six sessions talking to random villagers. Like, this is really boring. I don't like any of them. They all suck. Let's go. <laughs> but um, I like that, that someone who understands that balance and can use that to honestly trick the players into playing along with what their story is going to be because everyone has their play style but it takes a really good GM to be able to pull that that individuality into their story incorporate it in in a way that makes it a very comfortable playthrough like nothing seems forced nothing feels railroaded like I don't mind being railroaded in a story yeah as long as it doesn't feel like I'm being forced, mm-hmm. you know, down this path. Unless, like I said in that example, where it was like everything was kind of building up to this big moment. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. cool. Let's get to that. That mm-hmm. sounds awesome. <laughs> but, you know, so as long as I don't, like, feel like I'm being forced down a particular path, mm-hmm. I really enjoy that a lot. Yeah. Um, G- I like GMs that are challenging to their players. Like... <laughs> like how my dad runs where it's you know there are things we have to figure out and he's not going to spoon feed us this information like Mm -hmm. we have to actively go use the skills that we've given him Mm -hmm. on our character sheets and figure out how we're going to solve these you know xyz problem Mm -hmm. and you know how to do it together where nobody feels like they're left out or they're not useful or anything like that because he put a lot of that on us as players as well like Mm -hmm. y'all are a group how does your group dynamic work how Mm -hmm. do you work as a group Mm -hmm. and so a gm that can really pull that out of a table is really fun because then it feels like we are really cooperating we're working towards a goal Mm -hmm. we're getting things done Mm -hmm. and it's it makes it a lot more fun mm-hmm. than if you're just constantly bickering with your your party members like no we need to do it this way no we need to do it this way 
was like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and climb up this thing, and y'all are just arguing. <laughs> I think the... I came up with another one, and I think... I was thinking about it earlier, and I was going to say something, but it's really important to have people engaged. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, and I feel like... I think I keep you guys pretty engaged, mm-hmm. and I think when I'm playing... It's been the opposite effect, and I, I, I'm just, I'm interested, and I'm paying attention the whole time, and I want to know what's going on, mm-hmm. and then when we end the session, I'm like, oh, no, like, that sucks, like, I want to keep mm-hmm. playing. Yeah. I think that's what's really, like, the main thing, is, mm-hmm. like, I want, if I'm interested, and we end the session with me being like, oh... Damn, like, when are we playing next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how every session should end with, no, I wanted to keep playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, you can Just tell one more hour. You yeah. can tell you're in a really good group when, you know, you've ended your last session or whatever, you waited your week or whatever until you get back together again, and instead of like, oh, hey, how's it going? How are you? Da, 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 everyone sits down, character sheets are out, they're like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> let's do this. Mm-hmm. I wish all games were that way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think that, you know, one... A legendary game master or even just a good game master is somebody who's going to look at the situation and allow for players to add their own bit of flair and do their own thing with it. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like anybody who's not at that base level as a game master needs the rules to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does anybody have any closing thoughts on legendary game masters? I don't think so. (laughs) All right. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, once again, these guys are uh, Dungeon Junkies. You can find them at Dungeon Junkie on uh, Twitter. Uh, their website is www.dungeonjunkies.com. And you can always email them at dungeonjunkies at gmail.com. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember it for a second. Oh, <laughs> um, and uh, of course we're uh, RPG Hour if you enjoyed this podcast please please give us five stars mm-hmm. if you didn't please please hit us up on uh, Twitter at RPG Hour hit us up on our email the RPG Hour uh, at gmail.com mm-hmm. uh, and, and then just you know let us talk back and forth about what you didn't enjoy and not give it a low rating uh, <laughs> that would be great um, but we definitely enjoyed having y'all out today and uh, I hope that we get to have you guys on our show again yeah, yeah thank you for letting us come out thanks bud